between an education, insurance, and incorporation, if you will, chances are you're going to have a really good experience. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt Rouse and Jeremy Marcotte. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. I'm your host, Jeremy Marcotte, and I'm here with Matt Rouse. Say hi, Matt. Hello. And today we have Dan Hayes from Real Property Management. Hi, Dan. Hey, Matt. So today we're going to talk about investment real estate and some legislation that goes along with it. So why don't you tell us a little bit about you and you know who you are and what you do? Yeah, you bet. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity. So I'm one of four owners of a family-owned property management business. My wife, Angela, and I started buying rental properties several years ago as a way to build long-term legacy wealth, retirement, passive income, fell in love with the business, and the next logical step was to start our own property management company, recruited my son to join us and his wife, Lacey, and uh, we now run a successful property management company here in Portland serving the three county areas, and we just opened up uh, Yamil County as well. Wow. So... You went from small, well, you still are small and family owned, right? That's so right, yeah. Is it uh, just the four of you are the owners, or how does that? Yep, there are four owners. We have about 19 employees. We manage just under 750 units across that three county area, plus parts of Newburgh, Yamhill County. We manage you know, several million dollars worth of, of rental property, several million dollars of rent each month, and serving clients, owners of property, and, and residents of those properties. So, legislation is an interesting ah, my favorite topic. <laughs> it's it's an interesting thing because in the Portland metro area specifically because that's where I live, right? Legislation has taken this weird turn where landlords seem to be on the hook for a lot more than maybe they used to be in years past and rents are rising as kind of a result of that. So what what is your step? How are you involved in some of the legislation and how do you maybe combat that. And well, go. and maybe we should back up one more quick step on that also, is that, that being a homeowner now, but having previously rented, right? right in a decade, I saw my rent more than double, right? right? And That's rents right. in the Portland metro area all went up about the same amount mm -hmm. as people were moving here. I mean, I think the statistic, what was it, 60,000 people or something a year moving just to the greater Portland area, plus that doesn't even count the rest of the metro. And right. it's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. That's and right. We also had the urban growth boundary, right? Mm -hmm. So there was a problem with building more housing. There was other problems that, that affected that. So rent was increasing. And the legislation, the, the what we were told is the legislation was to help curb the increase in rent, right? That was what was being put out that's there the in the news and sure, stuff. That was the, the intent, intent right? right? Or at least the intent that they tell everybody. I mm -hmm. mean, I don't know what the actual intent is. But so, yeah, I guess... Maybe you could speak to that a little more eloquently than I can. I just want to give people who are, you know, out of the city or out, out of the country even, you know, maybe a little bit more background on how much rent has increased. Yeah. So th let's start with, uh, I think, the recognition that this is a very complex issue yeah. mm -hmm. that requires complex solutions. And I would venture to say that no area of the country, I don't think there's an area of the country that could say we have it Right. Right. And I think to really answer that question, you have to begin with what problem we're trying to solve. It is undeniable. The facts bear this out. We have an affordability problem in the state of Oregon. It's severe. Mm -hmm. But we're not the only ones. Matter of fact, affordability, housing affordability is now a national issue. 
And as we watch the 2020 presidential race unfold, we are now starting to see candidates talk about affordability across the United States. It's a big problem. The economy has been great. Job growth has been fantastic. Wages are now starting to go up. And as a result, housing demand has been incredibly strong. Mm -hmm. The challenge with our industry, whether it be home sales or home rentals, a house is a product. I know it's somebody's place to live, and it's, we have to respect that and understand that. But at the end of the day, it's still a product that somebody builds and then ultimately sells or rents. And when demand goes up as quickly as it has, supply in this industry has a very difficult time keeping up. If the demand for beverage suddenly spiked, it's really not that big of a deal to make more. Mm-hmm. Well, it takes a year or more in some cases to build a new house, but it's needed today. And when you just look at simple supply and demand metrics, just simple supply and demand rules, if you will, you're going to see prices go up. That's just how it works. Mm-hmm. So what to do? Well, one of the very first things that city and state leaders can do in their mind is stop the damage, try and hold down prices as a means to create an affordable situation. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, is that that doesn't always work. In fact, there's really not a place that you can point to, to to say that it works, but we'll get into that later. But we have an affordability problem in Oregon. 85% of the households that make less than $25,000 a year in this state are considered housing cost burdened. And housing cost burdened is defined as someone that spends 30% or more of their income on housing. In the state of Oregon, we have 30 cities that have a population of 10,000 or more, 30 cities in the state of Oregon that are considered severely rent burdened, where they spend more than 50% of their income on rent. Mm -hmm. That's a problem. And it varies by city, but it's not Portland, as most people would think. Portland has a problem, but it's it's not the most cost burdened city from a housing perspective. Some of our rural communities are among the highest. Grants Pass, Forest Grove, Troutdale are more housing cost burdened than the city of Portland from a percentage of households perspective. Do you think that's because of the income, like the average kind of median income there is maybe lower, but the housing cost is still roughly the same or? There are a number of factors that drive it. Certainly wages are lower in those rural cities. Housing is typically lower, but as the economy has improved so quickly over the last 10 years, it's harder for a small town to absorb that economic growth and that need from a housing perspective. It's just so much harder. So prices spike. The second big problem that we have that folks are trying to solve is our homeless problem. And I'm not a homelessness expert, but if you just go look at Multnomah County's most recent point in time count, you know, we have on average 4,000 unsheltered folks every single day Mm -hmm. in the city of Portland, in, in the county alone. So we're trying to solve that problem too. It has to be solved. It's hard on people. But how you solve it matters. Right. And the challenge with legislation, from my perspective, and what I see every day, is that there's a significant level of unintended consequences when you enact legislation like this. Having some experience in the pricing world, uh, working for a major beverage manufacturer, world's most popular brand, the Coca-Cola Company, what I noticed in that work on a global scale is that any time you fixed pricing— that pricing had a tendency to gravitate to its highest level of fixed pricing. Mm. It's just natural. You just got to look at some of the industries that, that have had regulated pricing. It just moves to the highest level. One of the unintended consequences of rent control, whether we like it or not, depending on what side of the issue you're on, 
is that it has a tendency to cause fixed pricing. And so the pricing in the marketplace will have a tendency to migrate to that level of fixed pricing without regard to market conditions. So it has a tendency to hurt folks, hurt their pocketbooks, when the market dynamics actually would be better served to bring prices down through increased supply. Anytime you increase supply, pricing goes down. It's just, it's hard to refute that. Mm-hmm. One of the most significant times in the last 50 years when rent prices went down in this country was in 2008. Recall what happened in 2008, 2009. Worst Ooh, housing right. you know, crash in, in our history, uh, for those of us that, you know, in our recent history. Rents went down. And one of the primary reasons why that happened is because folks couldn't sell their home or they couldn't afford their mortgage now through the subprime banking practices. And so their choice was to either let it go back to the bank or rent their home. If you were in this industry then, the phone was literally ringing off the hook. Help me rent my home. Help me rent my home. Well, what happened to supply in that instance? Right. It went up significantly. Correct. Also, the people who don't have as much money can't rent it for as much. So, so yeah, just simple. A, a, yeah, you had a lower affordability demand. problem also. Yeah, right. So. Yeah, that's right. So you had you had lower demand through the natural economic condition, but we had an absolute influx of available rental units in so many different forms of fashion that pricing went down. Mm-hmm. Right. And so opponents like myself of rent control legislation argue that this actually has the opposite effect, that the path towards affordability is better driven through increased supply to meet demand. Right. If you want to make a, a landlord nervous like myself, who I, I own several rental properties, I get concerned when my rental property sits vacant. Mm-hmm. I don't know a property owner that I serve or, or, or know or talk to that doesn't have that as their number one concern because it's the most expensive thing you'll ever do as a rental property owner is have right. that product sit empty. Mm-hmm. So when it sits empty, what are your choices to start to generate rent revenue? Right. Well, you, you can, can lower the price. Lower the price. Right. Yeah. You could paint it. You could yeah, improve upgrades, it, whatever, yeah. upgrade. You could market it. You could market it better, yeah. But assume that, you're mar- assume that it's available. Assume that people can see it. Mm-hmm. Imagine that it's in good condition. Your only option is to lower that price until the value of that product meets the demand of the market. Until the market can bear it. Yeah, and if it yeah. sits for empty for 90 days, right, then you've had a 25% drop in revenue for the year. At least, yeah. I right. mean, there's real math behind more. that. Yeah, yeah, you're better off to lower your so rent price by 5% rent yeah. Yeah, than to have it sit at a higher price. Right. Wow. And it works that way every time. Now, when I every time. talk to people about rent control, right, like my friends and stuff who maybe aren't, you know, in the market kind of thing, they always think it's a really good idea, right? They're like, right. well, that's great because my rent's not going to go up. And I'm like, but wait, they didn't say it's not going to go up, right? right. They, they right. put a limit on the amount that it can go up. I think Portland Metro's is... Was it six percent plus cost of living or something like that? I don't know exactly. It what depends it is, on the market. It depends on the neighborhood. It depends on the year. All right. Uh, there, and you know, I just looked at the past eight years by month, and it's even when rents were spiking the most on average. Now, I want to make sure your listeners hear me clearly. I, I am in no way suggesting that there aren't folks out there uh, because I know there are, there are. I've I've met them. I've talked with them. I'm not suggesting that there aren't folks out there that didn't experience a substantial rent increase, sometimes right. doubles. I mean, folks oh, displaced, yeah. right. you know, because of these significant rent increases. And it happens when markets spike the way that ours did. But when you look at the actual data in the aggregate, we had single-digit rent increases year over year. Now, there are pockets where it was higher than that. And in some years during the last six years, we've had rent increases in the high single-digit 
But the rent increases that we've experienced in the last several years in the state of Oregon, in the aggregate, as well as metros like Portland, are actually less from a percentage year-over-year increase than the current rent control increase allowable amount right. is today. Well, that's what I was saying is right. I talked to them and said, well, how much was your rent, you know, how, how long have you lived there? You know, how much was your rent then and how much is it now? And I go, okay, well, let's do the math, right? Let's so we'll math. Correct. add the, what is it, 6% plus cost of living was what I was going by. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's completely accurate, but, you know, when you do the math, it actually ends up being more. It actually and ends up being more correct, yeah. When you're a owner of a property and the only increase that you're ever going to be allowed to do is that percentage, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to do that. That's right. They're going to do that percentage, yeah. Now, and you're the right. property manager, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You don't necessarily set the rent, right? We almost I mean, never set the rent. The yeah, property the owner, owner property does, does, right? Correct. That's right. And if I'm an owner of any asset and mm-hmm. I want that asset to make money, right, I want to minimize cost and maximize earnings, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how business works, right? And I know it's tough because it's people's homes and stuff like that, too. So, you know, like you said, yeah, there are there are places where people were displaced because of huge increases in rent and stuff like that. But if you have, like you said, like a, a massive increase in demand and there's nobody building, right, as mm-hmm. there was when the demand started, and there is also legislative, I don't know if I would really call it legislative, but there's there's a lot of permitting issues I've heard builders talk about and stuff like that, that that affect whether they're going to build more housing, right, versus, you know, just buying a house and fixing it up versus building a whole new one and and, and cost differences and stuff like that. And and maybe some of that is, is kind of a better solution. I don't know. Like, I mean, we're not honestly here to find a solution to the, the rental crisis, right? But yeah, well, you're touching on an important topic, Matt. You know, again, recognizing that we have an affordability problem in Oregon, We have an affordability problem in many of our cities, sometimes a severe uh, affordability problem. We actually still remain one of the more affordable cities on the West Coast. Right. We are. I mean, that's hard to dispute. It doesn't mean that people haven't felt pain. Yeah, they felt pain through rent increases. But there are a number of factors that go into why rents have spiked. Demand is definitely the, the top contributing factor in my mind. Just to give you a couple of data points, I attended the multifamily Northwest Spring Apartment Breakfast Report, and a developer spoke at that conference, and this particular person uh, owns a business that develops big projects. Okay. And in his presentation, just to kind of underscore the difficulty of operating in the city of Portland, to go from, I have an idea to build a residential unit, to go through the design, permitting, and permit issue stage before you can even quote, swing a hammer, right? 291 days, Jesus. 291 days. Now there's a cost associated with going through that process right? and money costs money. And you still haven't built anything yet. We haven't built anything. We haven't driven any revenue. And all that does is to, is all that serves is to increase the cost of doing business. And you'll eventually have to get a return. And in the rental business, the only way you get a return is the combination of revenue and expense. So it increases just the very nature of how long it takes to get something built, increases the cost of doing business in this city and this state. To give you a comparison, in Houston, Texas, it's 24 days. 24. My brother works in the industry in Boise, Idaho, and he says in Boise, Idaho, it's 46 days. In Portland, Oregon, it's 291 days. One of the properties that I own is a house on North Vancouver Avenue. 
it's got six units available to be built on it. It's zoned for six units. And I just delivered the first of two duplexes. It took all of 291 days right. to get to that point. Trust me on that. But it might shock folks to know that it costs me. I'm just a small, we're not you know, big developer. We're just trying to build some passive income through rental properties. Before we even stuck a nail in some wood, pounded a nail, put up a board, it cost us $95,000 in permitting fees wow. to build those two units. Right. And when I called the city of Portland, and asked about any kind of affordability programs that we might qualify for, they had none. I wasn't big enough. And even though my one unit is as small as some alternative dwelling units, ADUs, where you know has been where they've had some permit fees waived, there was nothing available to me. Now, how can I provide? Even if I want to, how can I provide an affordable unit in that environment? You can't. Right. No. You can't. You can't rent can't. your place out for six hundred dollars a month when right. it costs you yeah. ninety thousand just in permits and another right. two hundred to build it. So rent control, you know, in Oregon, there are two big things about rent control that it does. It actually does two things. The first thing it does, it absolutely restricts the amount of rent increase that a landlord or a property owner may take during a tenancy. And it limits it to 7% plus CPI, or what's commonly referred to as inflation. Now, the U.S. Department of Labor Statistics determines CPI. The Oregon Department of Administrative Services publishes CPI. And so in 2019, that CPI number is 3.3. So a landlord may raise the rent 10.3% during a tenancy maximum amount that they can raise it. That's wow. more than the average rent increase year over year in the last several years. Right. So one would argue that it's probably not as much a rent control legislation as it is an anti-rent gouging piece right. of legislation. And so those stories of my landlord doubled my rent, you know, I had a $300 a month rent increase and the two months mm-hmm. later I had another $100. That's bad behavior by landlords. And any landlord that's listening right now should stop doing that. You should get it market rent. You should make sure you're taking care of your property and you should not pass on extreme rent increases to your tenants because it's hard to budget that way. You should take a more measured and more consistent approach. Certainly be profitable in your business, do the right thing, but this legislation is going to do much less. It actually will not do much to control rent. In fact, I've already seen evidence that suggests that it's actually gonna have the opposite effect. But it will keep bad behavior in check. Right. Which I think is a good thing. Yeah, because in Oregon, the rent control legislation says that you can, it's, it's the rent increase during tenancy. You can raise the rent to whatever degree you want or whatever the market will bear in between tenancies, with some exceptions. Uh, so it really isn't going to do much to control rent. It's not what is considered strict rent control or what's commonly referred to as San Francisco-style rent control, which has been proven to be an utter disaster, where there's an entity, often a city or a county, that will say this is the maximum rent increase you can take, period. It applies to that building, but not to that building. And what you get is a system that actually benefits a select few and significantly hurts the majority. Right. Well, yeah, I know you can tell paying. it's working because almost all of them are moving here. Right. That's right. Well, there's part <laughs> of that, but but San Francisco is absolutely the highest right. priced market in the United States, second to New York. And people, I, <laughs> so I you want to make sure that the place both where of which have rent control, all yeah. of your highest profitable startups in the world are starting has the highest cost, highest cost of, of entry. Living. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, that's so right. that it's almost impossible. You have to have fifteen guys sleeping in a one bedroom apartment well, yeah. to start a crypto. And, yeah. That's that's. I've talked to. I, I drove Uber for a while because why not? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And talking to 
Californians, because they all come up here to vacation or find homes or whatever the case is, yeah. their rent was four, five, six thousand dollars a month for two and three bedroom apartments or houses or whatever the case was. And they have to have multiple people in there unless they work for one of those really profitable yeah. startup tech companies or something like that. But there's one guy that well, again you own a house there and you sell it. Right, and then you move up here, pay cash, you and you sell it on for one point five million, and you come buy a mansion in like Oswego for one point two, and and you got three hundred thousand dollars that you can, you know, live yeah, off it of go, you know, it goes back to my, pay my your capital gain, yeah, ten thirty one exchange, <laughs> yeah, sure, all that. Well, it goes back to my original earlier point in that the city of Portland is among, if not the most affordable city of its type on the West Coast, and right. in some cases across most metro If you already have cash. <laughs> sure, I mean, right. yeah. Uh, and again, not to suggest that people yeah. aren't, aren't experiencing I mean, it's bad rentals. for the people who already lived here and already were not making very much money, right? Because the rent, I mean, it's just yeah. shaves right off the bottom line of your income, right? You know, because you got to pay it. And yeah. So when all the rent all around goes up, it's difficult for people. And I mean, I completely understand that, but I mean, we're not here to talk about the solve, you know, the, yeah, yeah, the solution Mm -hmm. or the, or the morality of people's, you know, work versus rent. And, and, you know, I mean, we're not here to talk about capitalism and socialism. We're here to talk about what are the problems that somebody could face as, you know, buying investment property Mm -hmm. or who already owns investment property. Right. Mm -hmm. And especially most of our, audience, right, are business owners, business professionals, real estate agents, uh, right? And they're dealing with property and investments and stuff all the time. And they're doing it themselves, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times. And now a quick break. Digital Marketing Masters will be right back. Are you ready to stop grinding and start making an impact? Are you tired of working long hours and not growing your business? Get Matt's new book, Flattening the Hamster Wheel, on Amazon now. Just go to hook2.us slash hamster. That's H-O-O-K-T-O dot U-S forward slash H-A-M-S-T-E-R. So how do you how do you kind of bridge that gap, right? Because there are small business owners who are like, this is my investment property, this is my baby, this is how I'm going to make a passive income, passive retirement. You've done it now, yeah. right? Yeah. So how can landlords maybe protect themselves against lawsuits or financial risk and stuff? Because if I'm doing it myself, one lawsuit could break me completely because if, if it's the right thing and I lose, there goes not only the property that, you know, I was renting out or whatever, but then there potentially goes my assets that I'm currently living in. And what is that going to do? So you may not know any of the legislation that you need to know. Right. Because if I make a mistake and I go over that 10.7% or whatever it ends up being, that opens me up for a lawsuit to some extent, right? Penalties for sure. So maybe what could I do as a landlord or a property owner trying to do it myself? What could I maybe do to help protect myself against stuff like that? Yeah. So set the legislation piece aside for a moment. That's just part of any business. Every business has regulation. They're both sides of the issue, of course. But set that aside. And I just had this conversation with someone uh, before I came here today. When you have a rental property, when you decide I'm going to take my money and I'm going to put it into that house and turn it into a rental property, I think that the very first thing that folks should do to protect themselves is recognize that you're just taking money and putting it to work somewhere. And anytime you do that, for example, if you go to a financial planner and you have $100,000, let's say, and you say to that financial planner, here's $100,000, please make it come back or make it grow. Mm -hmm. That financial planner, she's going to ask you, 
Great. How risk averse are you? Are you very conservative? Are you moderately risk averse? Are you not risk averse at all? And the reason that person will ask you that is because they want to understand what your tolerance level is. What are you willing to go through? And if you answer, well, I'm very conservative, I don't want to lose any money, well, then this financial planner is probably going to say, well, go put it into a very conservative money market account. You're not going to grow nearly as fast, but you won't lose anything either. Conversely, if you say, I'm super risk tolerant, I want it right. to grow as quickly as possible. Put it all on black. Put it all on black. <laughs> Recognize that when you own a rental property, the returns are really very good in comparison to other investment opportunities. But just like that example around a financial planner asking you the question about your risk tolerance, understand that owning rental properties has risk. Mm -hmm. The returns are really good, but the risks can be high. Right. The great thing about owning rental properties, in my opinion, aside from the great returns, is the ability for someone to actually mitigate that risk. So if I say to Matt, Matt's a financial planner, say, hey, Matt, here's $100,000. Go put this in the most aggressive stock portfolio you can find. That's the last time I'm probably going to weigh in on where Matt's going to put my money. Mm -hmm. He's now in charge of all the risk mitigation or lack thereof. Yep. When you own a rental property, there's so much you can do to mitigate your risk and have a high return reward as a result. So I think it begins with that understanding. And if you agree with that premise, then the next logical thing to do to really protect yourself from that risk is get an education. The number one problem, opportunity, whichever word you want to choose, when a self-managing landlord comes to me, typically when they come to me, they've got worked themselves into a problem. I, I can tell you an example right. as recently as this week. To my best estimate, it's probably going to be between ten dollars and $15,000 of expense just to unravel the problem this person's worked themselves into, largely driven by a lack of education. And there are so many resources that you can go to. Rental Housing Association, Multifamily Northwest, associations you can join and belong. There are so many education materials that you can access to learn how to be a great landlord. And I would say to anyone contemplating getting into the residential rental business as a way to build passive income, do it. Right. But don't do it if you're not willing to be a great landlord. And if you can't get an education to be a great landlord, then save that for someone else. Right. So let me ask you this. How much of your client lead generation kind mm -hmm. of thing when a landlord has basically painted themselves into a corner and they don't know how to get out? Is that when they contact you for most of the time, or is it more of a, I guess there's always a mix, right? It's always a mix, but the vast majority of the clients that ultimately end up working with us or we end up working with them is typically someone who knows that they don't have an appetite for that work. Right. And they have talked to someone who knows us, a realtor perhaps that we've worked with or I've delivered a class to, or another owner that we already serve, or they found us online. They've typically decided, I don't want to be a landlord. I right. want the benefits of owning rental property, but I don't want to be a landlord. I don't want to keep up with ever-changing laws. I don't want to worry about getting sued. I want a professional to handle right. that. That's the vast majority of our business. Coincidentally, that's the majority of our business, too. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and <laughs> you're like, I don't want to deal with Facebook. Yeah, that's right. You know, we, there's a gap. There's an opportunity in the marketplace, and we fill that opportunity. Sure. Uh, I've never managed my own rental properties. I own several million dollars worth of rental property, real estate. I've never managed them on my own. I've either paid someone else to do it or I started a company and they manage it for me because I know the value of that. But the second thing is get an education. Learn how to be a good landlord. Know how to document. Know what notice is required. Learn how to interact with people, your residents. Right. Be respectful. Be kind. 
be responsive, and you will likely have a good experience or hire a professional. Right. And you'll find that typically when you hire a professional, like so many other examples, you will actually make more money in the long run. Most people manage their own rental properties, not because they love being a landlord, but they want to save a couple of bucks each month. Mm -hmm. What they don't understand is the expense associated with mistakes in this business are never small. Uh, They're actually quite large. The unique thing about this business is it has a tendency to go along really well until it doesn't go well, and it's usually not small. It's usually very painful. Mm-hmm. And that pain is typically in the, in, in, in the form of a monetary penalty. And the anguish and the anxiety and the, the stress of making a mistake, you actually can save yourself that trouble. So I think it's, number one, do you even want to be in this business? Do you have some tolerance for risk? There is some risk associated here. Right. And then are you willing to go do the work to learn how to mitigate that risk through an education to be a great landlord? Or do you want to hire a professional? And then, of course, you really need to understand, and I'm not an insurance expert. I do know a couple that I can refer people to, as you do, Matt. But understand how insurance works, both on the resident side of things, the landlord side of things, and your own personal asset side of things. And then understand, have a little bit of a working knowledge around whether you should or shouldn't put your own property into an LLC and the risk mitigation that comes along with that. But between an education, insurance, and incorporation, if you will, chances are you're going to have a really good experience. Perfect. So before we wrap up, I know that's a good spot to wrap up, so I always like to squirrel a bit at sure. the end, as usual. So, <laughs> Is this a new term uh, I'm not aware of? Squirrel? squirrel yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's like, you know, when your dog, you're walking your dog, and your dog sees a squirrel and tries to Got it. yank yeah. off squirrel on the leash 90 degrees from yep. where you're walking. I understand now. Or your toddler. Yeah. This happens to me on a daily basis <laughs> yeah. at this point. One of the things, so we're in a business networking group, right? Mm -hmm. And so we talk all the time, but we usually hear the entertaining or maybe kind of scary stories and stuff, right? And I'm also in like another, like a mastermind group. We have another property management company in there, right? And I get to talk Mm -hmm. with their owners and a large amount of our business is uh, real estate agents and brokerages, right? So we talk to them also. We talk to a lot of commercial realtors. So we get to hear stories from all sides because I also know people who rent property, right? And they have their own stories too. Right. Everybody's Um, got a story, yeah. mm -hmm. Right. So kind of an example is my neighbor, actually, my like direct neighbor at my house was being his own landlord, Mm -hmm. but he was renting it out to kind of extended family members and there was a problem that the people there knew about, but they didn't tell him about that turned out later, too much later, to be a cracked pipe inside of a wall. Right. And now it's literally tens of thousands of dollars yeah. of damage. And he had yeah. to kick everybody out. He had to kick yeah. his family out of his house, basically, yeah. right? And that's horrible because nobody wants to have to do that. Mm-hmm. And he has to redo the walls and the floors. And he's basically doing construction on his house for yeah. over a month. That's expensive, right? Very. Plus, there's permits and all that kind of stuff you got to get to do that stuff. And you got to pay the HVAC people and the plumbers and the mm-hmm. electricians and, you know. So, yeah, when you're talking about small problems becoming your big problems, you know, yeah. when it is a problem, it becomes it's a huge expensive, problem, yeah. an expensive problem. But how, I guess, my question is, I know you talked about insurance and, yeah. like, when to send notices and stuff. But what are some other ways you can help a property owner mitigate that risk, right? Like if you were managing my neighbor's property, right? That's right. Then, I mean, maybe this isn't the perfect example, but how would your company help mitigate risk? It's a great example, actually. It's it's a really good example. Sure. Yeah, and I'm glad you asked the question. There are, you know, setting the insurance discussion aside, Mm -hmm. there are three things a landlord can do to 
at least give themselves a shot at preventing the problem you just described. Number one is when you rent to a resident, spend some time. Spend some time on the lease. Spend some time on the importance of reporting maintenance. Spend some time on, on helping that resident understand, I want you to call me. Right. In fact, if you want to make me nervous as someone who owns rental properties, tell me that I've got a resident that never calls. Right. I want those calls. I want to hear how it's going. I want to know when there's a problem. I'm not going to get mad at you because you tell me that something's broken. Most people think if they're renting their property and nobody ever calls, it's great. I don't think that's true. Until later. Yeah, yeah until later. <laughs> that's right. I don't think that's true. And not to suggest that people would, you know, take a dishonest. You've ever seen the show Borders? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so make sure that resident understands how important it is to develop that connection with you as the property right. owner and what you expect from them. I find it's incredibly helpful and effective. You just tell people what the expectations are and give them a reputation to live up to, if you will, and say, I expect you to give me a phone call. Right. It's going to be okay. And then when they do call, don't be a jerk. Right. right. You know, get it fixed. Understand, this is not just a rental property. This is someone's home. Right. They have Christmas there. They celebrate birthdays there. They have relationships there. This is their home in their mind, and it is. Right. So fix it. Fix it right. Fix it quickly. Don't be stingy. Right. And then the third thing is, don't take for granted that all that's going to go well. In fact, if you look at the reviews online, and you'll see a guy named Cam mentioned several times, and Cam is one of the, one of the maintenance techs that does this thing called a periodic property review. Periodic property review is where we go in for the benefit of both the owner and the resident, and we just do a simple exterior and interior check. We do a fairly comprehensive compliance checklist to make sure things are going well. But more often than not, the resident will say, you know, I've been meaning to call you guys about that issue, whatever that issue may be. Right. We'll fix it right then and there. My yeah. pipe's leaking or my whatever. Right? And we're not talking about getting in the crawl space in the attic, but going right. through and doing a visual inspection, making sure that the product that they're paying for is working well. Right. Making sure that they're taken care of, making sure that the owner's interests are being taken care of. And it right. can be a very positive experience. And I can tell you, in the 10 years I've owned rental properties, the worst thing that's ever happened to me is a pet stain on a hardwood floor that happened on a rug that nobody caught, and we fixed it at turnover, and the tenants gladly took it out of the security deposit, and all was good. I'm no different than anybody else in terms of the way in which we screen, but the one thing we've done consistently and persistently is getting inside on a regular basis, and I'm talking about once every four months, right. to do a really decent review of the property, make sure things are going well. If you screen well, get educated, sit down with your resident, talk about what's expected, talk about how to make sure that they understand how to report mates on any other issue, and you react in the right way, and then get inside to make sure things are going well. Right. Your chances of success just went up tenfold. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Building that. It's not that hard. core and that relationship. Yes, and, and exactly. you know, having the expectations set and, and everything in advance. And I mean, most of the nightmare kind of tenant stories that we hear are the people who haven't hired a property manager yet. That's right. That's, right? that's exactly They come in right. and they're like, well, you know, I literally heard one last week where somebody had gone to a property management company and they went to go look at the property and the previous tenant, I guess, had been moved to some kind of mental care facility, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And it was basically like a hoarder house, mm -hmm. right? And they were walking through the house and their foot went through the hardwood floor because it was rotten around where the like bathroom area was, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Like 
you don't want that. You don't want that. And not only that, you don't well, you don't want that for your property, right? That's and also right. the people who live there or are gonna rent this place later, you know, don't yeah. don't well, want that either, right? That's right. That's you, right. you said and it in a way that I, I haven't heard before today. A rental house is a product. At the yeah. end of the day, when you're paying for a product, you want to get it fixed. You lease a car, for instance. Yes. People, you know, everybody drives a car. They take better care of their cars than they do their houses. That's right. A lot of people. (laughs) But, you know, it's a product. You're leasing it. You know, you know what? There's a knock. I should go get that fixed. So you go get it fixed. If there's something going on with your house, like me, I have, my landlord is, he's doing it himself. Yeah. You know? Sure. Um, But you said open line of communication. And I realized that about every three to four months, he shoots me a text. Hey, Jeremy, just checking in. How is it going? Yeah. Hey, Phil, I changed this. I did this and this was broken. So I just fixed it. Okay, cool. Do you want to do anything else? I'm like, yeah, I want to change the hardwood floors on the main floor. And he's like, let's figure it out. And you know what? And how does that make you feel? Great. Yeah. I've been with him for two and a half, almost three years now. And it works in every industry, right? It works in every industry. Hey, Mr. Smith, how is your website, everything yeah. working great still, you still yeah. got login, you That's can still right. get into your stuff, right? Do you have yeah, any issues right. with it? You know, hey, Janice, we sold you a house, you know, three months ago, yeah. you know, if you're a realtor, right? And yeah. I just want to check in, see how the neighborhood is, how's everybody, you know, how's the kids like in the new school, right? Yeah, that's right. And they go, oh, oh, you know what? I wanted to tell you, I, my, my, I was talking to one of the other ladies at school and her husband's getting transferred and they were looking to sell their house. Right. I go. mean, that's right. Yeah, it's just that's the way right. it works, right? If you stay in touch with people, you manage the expectations and, that's right. and build those relationships. And I would venture to say that your landlord, probably, if we were to ask this person, how's it gone on your rental properties? What do you suppose his response would probably be? Probably pretty well. Really good. Yeah. I've never, I've had, he'll say, I've had really good luck. And the fact of the matter is, this hasn't been luck at all. It's He's been, just got it's it's good business acumen. Yeah, that's yeah. correct. Yeah. And that's great. Yeah. So, if you have a financial goal of building long-term wealth right. and passive, passive, I use that right. term that's as important. loosely as possible, yeah. income, right? Yeah. How would somebody go about getting a hold of you? Because if I do it right, if I buy a house, I'm not even going to try to right. navigate sure, that. So right. how would I get a hold of you? How would I find you? Yeah, well, if I appreciate that question. I really do. So if you're a property owner that's thinking about getting into the residential business, the rental business, and you want to get ahead of it before, you know, one of the worst phone calls I get is somebody will call me and say, hey, Dan, I'm closing on this property on Friday. How much do you think I can rent it for? That's the wrong right. place in that sequence, right? So, <laughs> it, 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 and that happens uh, because they didn't think right. through. And really what it should be, hey, Dan, I'm thinking about getting into the rental business. What are some areas that I should be looking for? I'm not a real estate broker. We don't broker real estate. We just manage properties. We leave the brokerage to, to others. But find yourself a great broker and then get yourself a great property manager like us where we can sit down and say, okay, look, what do you want that investment to do? And when right. do you want it to do it? And what are your, you know, what are your goals? What are some of the things that you like? Like, what kind of area of town do you like to be in? You know, what kind of a, a rental property might be you know, in line with your personality? And then start doing some math and just taking a look at properties. And there are many rule, uh, tools and resources that you can use to get a rental analysis done. You can call us. You know, you can call us at 503-224-3002 or go to our website, realpmsolutions.com. You can fill out a contact form. It goes right to me, and I'm happy to help. It's one of the things I enjoy most. And you will have a much better chance of of finding that right property that's got a chance to cash flow positive right out of the gate, which, by the way, is rare, than if you would otherwise be able to. So you can find us that way. If you're a real estate broker, you know, I work with a number of real estate brokers and help them build their business by serving their clients well. And again, 
you know, I don't broker real estate. No one in our office has their broker's yeah, license. We've done some real estate yeah, CE classes, classes in the past yeah, and stuff. Right. And yeah. So I can provide rental analysis for your clients. I advise on tenant landlord law all the time. Uh, as a courtesy, and because uh, I want people to have success, you right. know. I mean, really, I, I know that sounds a little trite, perhaps, but but I really do want people. If they're going to get into the rental business, I want you to be successful. Yeah. No, we 100 percent yeah. do the same thing with our business, right? There is no way that you can lose by helping people be more successful. Yeah, you can. Right? That's exactly. Nobody right. ever went broke helping other people that's succeed. Right. That's right. Yeah, that's so. exactly right. We're going to keep you around for the next episode, so okay. make sure you guys, you know, <laughs> listen to part two coming up. But I think maybe we should cut it off here. We can talk more about the wealth building yeah, uh, side and opportunities on the next episode. Sounds good. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt Rouse and Jeremy Markoff. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Now stay tuned for a preview of our next episode of Digital Marketing Masters. Join us next week as we talk with Dan Hayes and Ben Ficker about building wealth through investment real estate. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.